Welcome to Day 2 Club. We have a unique show for you today. We're digging into management coaching. That is, maybe you're a technical person who's ended up in the role of manager, and maybe you'd like some help with that role because it's not going like you thought or you want to do better than you think you're doing. Uh, maybe you're just struggling with the transition from individual contributor to manager. Maybe a management coach would help you. And, uh, and we have a guest that we brought on board today, didn't we, Ned? We do, and we really got to pick apart what is a coach versus a mentor or another function in your life and how what function a coach is meant to serve in terms of progressing in your career and maybe in your personal life as well we we, we really uh went deep on this episode into the more esoteric things and and not the fiddly bits and the technical jargon so please enjoy this conversation about management and management coaching with steve dwyer from northway insights Steve Dwyer, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Who are you and what do you do? You know, I, I love the fact that you broke it into two questions that are separate because <laughs> so so many times we we tend to combine the two and we get our identity out of what we do. And I know it, it, it took me a long time to be able to answer that first question, who are you, in a way that wasn't what I do. Um, it was through a bunch of coaching that, process that was finally able to articulate who is Steve Dwyer without talking about what I do. <laughs> and it ended up with a statement that I, I usually don't share with people, except in this kind of a conversation about distinguishing who we are from what we do. And I ended up articulating that Steve Dwyer is, or is called to be an international cross-cultural pattern and patron of God's beauty, excellence, justice, grace, truth, and love. And there's a lot in there, but you'll notice what wasn't in there is here's what I do. Um, <laughs> and it, it took me a long time to get there. Um, and, and the second half of your question, what do I do? How, how do I be that person? Um, one of the ways is that I coach IT and software engineering leaders through the mindset and identity shifts that are crucial to their success as they level up through formal management roles or informal technical leadership roles. I know we're going to get to this later, but I have to ask because your first answer, the first half of that question that you answered, it was a very eloquent answer. And there's, like you said, there's a lot packed in there. I'm curious that, that does that inform the, what you do heavily, the, who you are. When I let it, yes. And it's, it's often that it, that can go to the wayside. And I have to keep being reminded, why is it that you're doing what you're doing? Is When I'm making a decision, I can get caught up in the doing, the doing, the doing, because I'm trying to live up to somebody else's standard. But if I can go back and know who am I, then that can help not just inform, but motivate and inspire and give, give that energy to what it is that I'm doing. So often, especially in the day-to-day -day operational work we've all been involved in, you can get lost in that mm -hmm. operational, this is the next thing I have to do and the next thing I have to do. And the ability to take a step back and understand the larger context of why am I doing all of these things could be important, especially if you're looking for a more fulfilling career. But mm -hmm. I imagine you didn't start out knowing all that, right? <laughs> you didn't start oh, out coaching other people. So can you walk us through some of the highlights of your career that led you to the place you're at today where you're coaching people? Sure. So 
probably the most recent highlight career would be retiring in January of 21 after spending a couple of decades in leadership, different kinds of leadership roles in software engineering and IT management. And most of that, almost all of that was in healthcare software as a service, either as software engineering leadership or in IT management leadership for specifically for healthcare organizations, helping hospitals and physicians with their communication, with their data analytics. And in 2013, I realized that as, as noble as it was, or as noble as it felt to be helping physicians and caregivers to care for the patient's bodies, there was something in me that said, I, I wanna do something to care for the person inside the body. And I still hadn't separated who I am from what I do yet. So who am I? Well, I, I'm a software guy. I, I, you know, I do tech stuff. That, that's who I am. So my idea at the time was, well, I'll launch a side business, software as a service, trying to help churches, Christian ministries to help pastors and missionaries to care for people's souls. That, that's how I'm going to care for the person inside the body. So I launched a software company in 2013 as a side project in the day job, got promoted, had new responsibilities, lots of things to learn, took a lot of attention and fast forward to 2020. My side business is still offering the same solutions that it had come up with back in 2013. I had incurred lots of technical debt, um, <laughs> platforms had changed, the state of the industry had changed. So in 2020, I said, I can't keep doing this because I'm not serving this other purpose. That next chapter of life is getting no attention. So after this had been through multiple, you know, over these 20 years, multiple mergers, acquisitions in the day job. And this is shortly after one of those. And you no, know, we're really, we're finally going to really, really combine our organizations this time. I'm sure <laughs> many of you, you know what that's like. And I said, Okay, when we do this, can I go part-time? I really need to put some attention on this next chapter. So I went part-time on paper, um, but Parkinson's law being what it is, you know that the uh, um, everything expands to fill the time you give it. So it was still taking practically full-time work, dealing with these new technologies, you know, working with a new team, new technology, new stuff. And I didn't have the attention to give what I wanted for my next chapter, and it just wasn't working. So a year later into this part-time, I was a technical program manager. They came and said, Steve, it's time for your roadmap. What is your team gonna do for the next three, six, and nine months? I stared at a blank screen and realized, I don't know. And what was scary, I realized I didn't care. And so, okay. yeah, it struck me, said, okay, if you don't know what your team is supposed to be doing for the next three, six or nine months, and that's your job, maybe you shouldn't be there for the next three, six or nine months. Mm -hmm. So I left, I gave my two weeks notice. And before I was ready, I, I didn't have the income coming in, in the side job, but, I, that, but I'm not serving my day job. I've got to make a choice here. So I went full time into the side business 
spent a year paying down technical debt, finally got the technical platform up. Yay, Kubernetes. Yay, self-healing, auto-scaling. Now I can finally build something on there that will solve somebody's problem. Let me go figure out what problem am I going to solve? And spent the time looking, talking to people in my market, those that I really wanted to serve the most, and came to discover that those that I most wanted to serve with software to help with uh, communication and analytics were the least interested in having software help them with communication and analytics. (laughs) So that's when I said, I've got to get some help. So I hired a coach to help me figure out what do I do with this? Mm. And it was partly through that process that I, well, I learned to distinguish the who I am from what I do and discovered that I didn't really miss writing software. I I didn't really miss managing a bunch of IT stuff. What I really did miss was having one-on-ones with my team members, seeing them grow, change, get promoted. And I realized, well, I just hired a guy to spend the next year, twice a month, having one-on-ones with me. This is a profession. This is this feels more like who I am and what I'm supposed to do. So I looked out to see, all right, how do you even start? And found there are thousands upon thousands of places that'll certify somebody to be a coach. You can practically stick a quarter in a bubble gum machine <laughs> and out comes, yay, congratulations. You are a certified master life coach. But the pattern that I saw was that just about anyone who offered training towards a certification other than their own. It was towards the International Coaching Federation certification. Anybody who demanded a certification other than one they had invented, they demanded International Coaching Federation. So I made sure my training was aligned with International Coaching Federation. And so it's their standards of ethics and professionalism that really guide the coaching I do. So as I was listening to that, I'm hearing major career transition and a lot of events that led up to what you're doing now. So, okay, Mm -hmm. I faced a few of those moments in the career. It's like, I I don't know that I want to keep doing this. What should I be doing? Um, But I would attribute some of my challenges in that area to burnout, where being in a technical team lead role or managing a bunch of IT people and IT stuff just got me to the point of like, it's not that I don't want to do this as much as I'm just tired. I'm a bit burned out. How would you counsel someone if they're trying to distinguish between they're just burned out? Maybe it's a temporary situation. A sabbatical would would heal versus the need for a career change is ultimately what you decided. Yeah. And, and for me, a lot of that was back to the, your opening question that you, you put together so brilliantly to separate those two concepts. And it comes back to knowing who are you? Who, who are you as a person? And informed by that, what is it you're really called to do? Like I said in the intro, for the longest time, I really couldn't articulate that because they were all so combined. And to me, I am a software guy. I'm a, I'm a coder. I'm a, well, I'm a coder who manages. Well, I'm a manager who codes and all of that combined, but separating that out, it's that alignment between your current career, what is it that you're doing? And does it really align? And Ned, you mentioned that in the beginning, kind of that fulfillment feeling. 
Mm-hmm. And if, if you're not aligned with what you're doing and with who you are, then that fulfillment is, is lost. So that's part of that distinguishing between is this just a temporary burnout or is there really, is it time for a career change? I definitely went through my own change and I think burnout was kind of part of it, but I think it was more what you're indicating, which is the job I was doing at the time was not fulfilling. And Mm -hmm. I had discovered a passion for something else in the meantime, and that became the thing I want to do. And that ended up being what I'm doing today, which is Mm. trying to educate and share knowledge with other people from a technical perspective. And sometimes we do really deep dives into technical bits and bites. And sometimes we do shows that are more like this, that's guiding your career and thinking about what you want to do in a more holistic way, instead of what does this nerd knob do and (laughs) why should I turn it? (laughs) You know, sometimes that the burnout is temporary and there, there are different kinds of burnout. And often we look at it and we think, well, it's because I just don't have enough time. And that's really what I was feeling when everything expands to fill the time. I, I, I went part time, but I still don't have time to work on the side thing. And as I look back, it wasn't really time as much as it was energy. Uh, I had spent all of my learning budget. I had spent all of my attention. And even though I had hours in the day, I didn't have energy left. So part of the question is, do you in your current role have the freedom and the autonomy to decide how you're going to manage that energy so you have it for what is fulfilling? If you have it, well, then you, know, you can work on that and it, it can be a temporary thing. If you're never going to get that autonomy, you're never going to have the freedom to invest your energy in the way that is fulfilling for you. Maybe it's time for a career change. I have so many things to say, but I am like right on the edge of an emotional breakdown. Not going to lie. You threw me when you said uh, it expands to fill the time. You know, you talk about you have more time, but th- things just expand to fill the time. And it's like that is the story of my life. Every time I clear something else out or finish a project, something else fills the void. And it seems like I've been on that treadmill for the last 20 odd years. And uh, yeah, hmm. if I think about it too long, I'm going to uh, I'm not going to be able to do my job as host, Steve. So I, we should we should move <laughs> on to the next topic. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I brought the fact that we do have some episodes that are more about career focus and what you want to do next versus the technical aspects. And that leads me to a question because you went through this genesis of going from someone who is deeply technical and doing the programming to more managing people. If somebody else has that opportunity in front of them where they can make that move from an individual contributor to a manager, what should they consider if, you know, whether or not that's the right decision for them? You know, Ned, I like, I like the way you worded that you should make the move from individual contributor to manager because it's, that's the right word. And, So appreciate you making that clear because moving from individual contributor to manager is so often considered a promotion. We we think of it as a promotion. We feel like it's a promotion when in fact it is what we were talking about earlier. It is a career change. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of the question is, are you ready to really give up that hands-on keyboard technical work? Is that so ingrained in who you are? that you're not going to be able to give that up and exchange it for a completely new set of skills in managing people. 
you know, are, are you ready to let go of having your success be defined by the work that you're doing and instead be defined by the collective success of everybody who is reporting to you? I was just reading this morning on LinkedIn, somebody complaining that, oh, we have to go to so many meetings and there's so many meetings that there's no more time to do the work. And the truth is on this career path, the higher you go up, the meetings are the work because it's mm. about building the relationships. It's about coordinating and collaborating with other people. Are you ready for that to be your work? If not, well, maybe it's not the right move for you. Yeah. Um, it, See, can, like, can you quick, give up a quick anecdote for for you? Because I, I am the guy you're talking to. Uh, 20 odd years ago, I really wanted this managerial job, or I thought I did because my role was as an individual contributor doing technical team lead work on a network engineering team. And I thought, oh, this position just opened up. That's management. If I do that, man, I can get some things done. We're going to go. Mm. We're going to go hard. You know, we're going to. And my the guy that would have hired me um, counseled me and he's like, I don't think you want this. I don't think, you know, and I really pushed and insisted. He's like, all right, man, we're going to give you a shot, uh, but I don't think you're going to be happy. And he was right. I was not happy because of what you were describing. I didn't understand that I needed to be stepping away from the keyboard and that, in fact, I was going to be in a lot of meetings and I was going to be coordinating with a bunch of folks and that that was the job. I thought the job was was really what a technical team lead is. I thought it was that, mm. only with a manager title and a bit of a pay bump associated with it. Um, and so I, I made that mistake. And eventually, I stepped out of that role, which irritated the guy that had warned me in the beginning. And then I told him I didn't want to do it anymore. It's like, are you kidding me? I got lectured behind a closed door. It was, we had a moment. Yeah. And he, I didn't get fired or anything, but it was... Uh, an interruption in the relationship, shall we say, uh, at mm. that point. So, Steve, I'm I'm hearing you 100% because I've been that guy and made that mistake. You, you mentioned the pay bump also. Mm -hmm. And that's that's another piece of that perception that this is a promotion. Mm -hmm. And th this is something that really challenged me was that as I moved into a different career, especially as I stepped up in leadership, I realized I'm I'm not as good at this as I was good at the technical side. And Zig Ziglar has a quote that I, I, I it's just constantly in my head. Does anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you can learn to do it well. And I've, I've always been the one to excel. I mean, even in who I am, excellence is part of that. And for me to switch to a career where I'm no longer excellent and because I'm not excellent in this new career, my pay is not increasing at the rate that it used to. And in fact, I've got people on my team that are still technical who are reporting to me who earn more than I do. And if I misunderstand management as a promotion, well, then that doesn't sit well, but when you recognize, no, it's just a different career. And there's a technical track where people can excel on the technical track and earn super high salaries. And if you're just a manager, and I'm putting this in ear quotes, if you're just a manager, you haven't leveled up yet. Well, it makes perfect sense for somebody on your team. Now you can see everybody's salaries. They're going to make more than you do. And that's probably the way it should be. Got to be okay with that.
Okay, so you said anything worth doing, quoting Zig Ziglar there, uh, worth doing is worth doing poorly until you can get good at it. I paraphrased. So let's say I am a manager now. I did decide to take on that role. How do I know if I'm successful or, or failing in my role? Start like you did just by caring to know. And that's really a big thing because I know when I first started, yay, I got promoted to manager. I have arrived. I am there. I got here because I'm the best. So mm. I didn't actually yeah. think about, no, this is this is all new. I've got to learn to become the best. And really the the two the two things to look at when you're trying to decide, am I being the manager I need to be? The results of that really are the first, the business results. Are you delivering the business results? And then retention. Are you, are you keeping your people? And so those, those are really the two whole classes. And a lot of people focus on just one or the other, but they both have to be there. Just the, on the retention thing. A thing that I've heard often repeated is people don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad managers. Absolutely. Yes. And that's certainly been my experience. It's it's not that I disliked the company or even if I disliked the company, that didn't matter nearly as much as the person who uh, oversaw me day to day and actually had that input and control over my career. If I didn't get along or didn't appreciate that person, then I was much more likely to leave. Mm -hmm. And and just to echo that, most of the people that I talk to who are looking for that fulfillment, they're not in a management position. They're trying to figure out, do I stay or do I go? It is many times it is the relationship with their direct line manager that mm -hmm. is just foremost in the conversation. So results and retention, Steve, those are two metrics. And that's I'm glad you phrased it that way, because that's something that when you are an individual contributor working on technical stuff, you can say, look at my project. Look at the thing I built. It is an artifact that you can measure my success by. <laughs> but when I always felt, I, as I've done several manager roles since that first one that I described, I've done other ones, and I always felt it was a little more difficult to quantify success. So you've given us a couple of metrics here, uh, results and retention. Can you build on that? At a, at a high level, both results and retention, the organization you work for, the company is going to have some level of a definition of measurable success for both of those. So with, with your results, it's going to be in the form of the objectives and key results or the OKRs, or in the KPIs, the key performance indicators. So they're going to define what those are. It may be in terms of revenue. It may be in terms of customer satisfaction. It may be in terms of uh, reducing churn rate. It may be, let's hope it's not uh, K-locks or source lines of code generated, but, uh, um, or you know, test coverage or things like that. But I mean, depend, depending on where you find yourself, th then you might start asking yourself, all right, is this really, is this really where I meant to be? Um, but often all the way at the top, the business is going to have um, objectives and key results or key performance indicators that drive whether the business is successful. And many times in a well-run organization, there will be a practice of taking those defined metrics and then letting them cascade down the chain. So from the business to the division, to the group, to the team, to the, and, and each person will say, what are my measurable objectives and key results that will support that of the organization that I report into? And so part of the job of the manager is to take the OKRs of 
the team that you're a part of and figure out what are your individual team's objectives and key results to support that. So that that would be one side of it for the measurable results. And if I'm delivering those, if we've agreed and my manager agrees that this is what my team is supposed to be doing, that's a pretty good measure that I'm succeeding as a manager for results. So I want to understand on this OKR thing, as an individual contributor, I was had different jobs where I needed to, on a probably a monthly, maybe a quarterly basis, write up a summary of achievements that came from either my group or myself and uh, and share that with the manager. I assume maybe that's something they were collating to kind of demonstrate uh, OKRs or performance of the team success metrics. Oh, almost certainly. Um, yeah. that's, that's something we were frequently asked. Um, you know, those in leadership above me would ask me to collect from my team members um, those, those measures. Because as I mentioned earlier, once you're in that management leadership role, your success is pretty much not defined by your own work anymore. Mm. Your success is defined as the aggregate of the success of those who report to you. So as an individual contributor, I shouldn't be irritated when my manager asks me that because a lot of times one of the default things I would, my natural gut response was, don't you know what I've been doing for the last month or the last <laughs> quarter? Why do I have to write it all down? It's a waste of my time. Come on, I'm busy. You know how busy I am because you keep giving me work. But in fact, what's happening here is you're helping that manager to quantify success of the team, which has a bearing on how that group looks to the rest of the organization. Absolutely. And in so many times I have seen the the team who is focused only on just let me do my work. What you want me to do the work or report on it? Hmm. Um, <laughs> and those who don't want to take the time to report then get confused why their product is not getting the market promotion that other teams products are or they're not getting other kinds of resources offered to their team. They can't backfill the position. Well, if you don't give the ammo to your manager to demonstrate what value your team is creating, it's harder to justify investing in that team. It's so hard as the individual contributor to see that larger context. And in fact, when I, when I was an IC in the past, it wasn't until later in my career that I started to understand that there was a world outside of my cubicle or outside of the assignments that I was working on and that I was there to serve a larger purpose within the organization. I was there to support the business, not just deploy stuff that's super cool. I mean, the stuff is still super cool. I like it. But <laughs> there was a reason why I was standing up a storage area network or deploying blade servers or something like that. And it wasn't just because I like to play around with technology. It was because the business needed that compute power to do whatever it did. And that I think the best managers that I've had were ones who didn't just tell me to do something. They told me why I was doing a thing and mm -hmm. provided that larger context, even if I wasn't quite ready to hear it. Yeah. And it's so far, this conversation has been, okay, individual contributor, here's why you need to help and support your manager. Um, but the other half of that, you know, because that helps with the results side, but the other half is just as important. And that's the retention. Back to what you're saying earlier, Ned, people don't leave the business as much as they leave that manager. So it's important to have some metrics around 
You know, how am I doing with retention? Am I giving my team an environment where they can feel fulfilled so that they're going to stick around? Um, you know, and, and there are the easy metrics are things like from those who are reporting to you, how many are still around after year? What, what's the attrition rate for those who reported to you? Mm -hmm. An, another metric, though, for especially for a manager is of the people you hired, even if they're not reporting to you anymore, of the people you hired, how many are still around? And not any one of them is a clear telltale, oh, yes, good manager, bad manager. But hiring is like the second most important thing that you do as a manager. The, the first most important is keeping the people who are there. Right. When you said attrition, I, I immediately thought, well, it's more nuanced than that, isn't it? Because it's not about <laughs> just who leaves and who stays. It's under what circumstances did they choose to leave? Is it because you developed them as, uh, as an employee and helped them along in their career? And now they're moving on to something new because they've outgrown the position. I would think of that as a net positive in terms of being mm -hmm. a manager. You helped develop that person um, or at least showed them that this might not be the best fit for them right now. Or they've moved to a different area of the company, but they're still around and they and they made that move under your tutelage and coaching. So, yeah, like you said, it, there's a lot more to retention than actual retention. <laughs> that makes sense. Right. And some organizations understand that better than others and sometimes the manager can get evaluated based on whatever metrics the organization happens to be looking at hmm. but when you're back to ethan's question how do i as the manager know whether i'm doing a good job you then have the opportunity to put that nuance in there and to understand well this person they were never a good fit. I inherited to my team somebody who wasn't a good fit. So coaching them out, and I, I almost wish I could erase that phrase from my <laughs> vocabulary. It's it's one that it's one that we use. Excuse me. It's one that has been used. I'm trying not to use it, but encouraging somebody to find a new opportunity may be the best <laughs> thing for them and for us. And I may have to recognize that yes, it's going to look bad on my unnuanced attrition numbers, but it's still the right decision. Right. Okay, Steve. So I'm, I'm a manager now. I'm starting to measure if I'm, uh, you know, failing or succeeding as a manager, starting to know these things, fitting into the organization, advocating for my team and so on. When do I know it's time for maybe a, a mentor or a coach to help me in my management journey? And, and by the way, our mentor and coach, are those actually, there's kind of the same thing or those different things? They are two different things. So th thanks for making that point. And I, and I don't know that anybody really ever serves purely 100% in only one or the other of those roles. But here's how I would make that distinction. A mentor is going to be somebody who has already traveled the road that you're on pretty close to the same road. So they have experience that's a lot like what you're going through right now. And they can tell you what worked for them. And... Mm -hmm. Much of what a mentor does is help you to figure out what you can do about that specific situation that you're facing. And then a coach kind of plays a, a different role in that a coach, we, we recognize that no two paths really are the same. And even if they are, no two people are the same traveling along that path. So what worked for me 
may not actually work for you. And so whether that's something we learn from training or education or just trial and error, you know, it's, it's about the human being, you know, who am I going to be more than what am I going to do? You know, many times in, in conflict resolution, we're taught attack the problem, not the person. Well, in coaching, we kind of flip that around, coach the person, not the problem, because it's who I am that drives what I do. As in the coach needs to recognize the differences in the, in the various people they might be coaching and this, it's not a one size fits all solution. That's part of it. In the, the one receiving the coaching, often the, what they're going to learn from that coaching experience, what they're going to hear from the coach is less about directive, what they're going to be doing here. Here's my advice. Coaches do not give advice. They don't counsel. They don't, they don't give directive feedback. You should try this. Um, it's more about helping the person to understand and explore who they are as a person. And then they can uncover their own doing once they recognize more about the being. It almost sounds like career therapy, right? <laughs> like you've gone <laughs> to see a counselor or a therapist where they're asking probing questions to get you to evaluate yourself and come up with some of your own conclusions in an environment that feels safe to do so. Whereas like if you were working with a mentor or someone who's actually in your organization, you might not feel as comfortable exposing what could, what are vulnerable things about you. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of overlap between counseling and therapy and coaching. The way I like to draw the distinction is counseling and therapy are generally to deal with healing or recovery from what you recognize as a problem. Coaching uses a lot of the same techniques, but the focus is on the future. It's upon, it's about growth looking mm. forward, not about looking to the past and solving something for a problem. So some coaches will coach somebody who is also getting therapy or, or counseling. I tend to stay away from that just because in a coaching situation, a coach can push and drive a little bit harder and put pressure in an area for growth that may not be healthy for somebody who is still trying to heal from a past trauma. So uh, that's part of my intake uh, question is about, you know, if you're currently going through counseling or therapy, that's good. Keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Once you've, once you're finished with that, then start thinking about coaching. Is it conceivable I could have a, a coach and a mentor as a different human, those two, two different people playing two different roles in my management career? Oh, absolutely. And, and some people will have multiple mentors and multiple coaches. Hmm. It, it really depends on how, how much attention and energy do you have to, <laughs> to, to look forward into your growth. Right. So because you, you said before, like, not every approach is going to work for every person. And I imagine that not every coach is perfectly suited to every individual. So what should I be looking for in a coach so that they'll be a good match with me and also that they're qualified to, to be a coach in the first place? Mm, yeah. I would say the first place to start really is looking at yourself. Um, and what 
is it that you really want to get out of that coaching relationship? What's that gap that you want to close? As you said earlier, is it more of a healing and a recovery kind of a thing, or is it a is it a growth thing? And and specifically in what area? So get clear on that. And then you'll want to see some evidence that the coach you're considering has either they've experienced it and overcome it themselves, or they have a track record of helping other people to overcome that. So for example, my best clients are technology professionals. But if somebody comes to me and um, is looking for help with fitness goals, um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm a pretty fit person. Um, I could coach somebody on that. But if some if a technology professional comes to me looking specifically for fitness, I may reference and suggest that they look at, say, Michael Cassidy with Active in Tech because he specializes in fitness coaching for technology professionals. Hmm. So if you can find somebody who is a specialist in the kind of coaching that you want, that's going to be ideal. Um, also, we use this word coach and we distinguished it from therapist, counselor, mentor. Um, but coaching is an unregulated field. So anybody can call themselves a coach and at least in the U S and, and nobody can tell them, no, you're not. Um, so you'll want to verify that their approach to coaching is lined up with the kind of help that you're expecting. If you really do want somebody to tell you what to do, there are people who call themselves coaches who will do that. Um, mm. But if you really want to just grow yourself and your own ability to think about how do you do things, you're going to want a coach that um, that does that. And then you really want to just be comfortable with the person. I mean, mm -hmm. like you said earlier, it, it's a you got to have that safe space where you feel where, where it's safe to be vulnerable and to be authentic and share some of those things. And if you're going to if you if you have this conversation with the coach and you feel like, yeah, I, I, I think I just need to keep this little piece of me in a box and keep that compartmentalized, that may not be the right coach for you. Um, and, and every coach that I know will offer a complimentary call just to get to know you, figure out what you're trying to, what you're trying to solve. And that gives you the chance to find out, is this the right coach for me? Can I be open and honest with this person? Okay. How, how open and honest do I have to be here? Because vulnerability is not my strong suit. That's one of those things where it's like, you talk about keeping things in a box, baby, I got boxes in boxes in boxes and I don't want to tell anybody everything. That's for sure. Maybe you get a little bit of this and you can look in this box, but you can't see anywhere and, and so on. And so, but what you're saying is for the coaching relationship to be most effective, I, as the one being coached, need to be willing to be vulnerable. How vulnerable are we talking, Steve? How much, how, how deep is the gap that you're trying to close? How hard is it? How related is it to that box that you're trying to keep shut? Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to go there. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I have boxes I keep shut too. Um, even from those that are helping me, um, just sometimes because they're not relevant, sometimes mm -hmm. because um, I tell myself that they're not relevant. Um, but it, it really, if it's close to the area that you want help on and you're not willing to open up that box, then it, you can go through an, an entire year of coaching and never get the issue resolved because that 
core piece of who you are has been hidden the whole time. You have to make that decision. And I think a good coach is going to maybe have a sense that you're holding back. Most of the time, yes. Some people are really good at hiding their boxes. So, I mean, if you've practiced it for your entire life, you may be able to hide it, especially when you're just having that, you know, one hour twice a month. You, you can you can hide a lot of stuff for one hour twice a month, but then <laughs> you're unlikely to do that if you're if you're going to be spending the money to have a coach help you with something. That that's one of the things I don't like to do a lot of coaching for free because those are the people that keep their boxes shut. Those who are willing to open their boxes and talk through it, they're the ones who are willing to spend the money or you know, spend the time. So often it's reimbursed by the company, depending on how it goes. But somebody who individually is purchasing their own coaching, they're going to open their box because otherwise, what's the point of spending the money? Okay. So then if I'm doing that, I'm spending money, um, I'm being vulnerable. What ultimately should I be getting out of this coaching relationship? That question comes really bef before you start. So like a, like a true geek, I'm going to say it depends. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what, what was, what, what was the purpose? You know, what was the goal that, that drew you to coaching in the first place? You know, sometimes a coach will talk with you through that inquiry call to help you. Sometimes you, you don't know. It's like, I just want to be better. And you don't know quite what that means. Sometimes a coach can help you figure that out, but if you don't know, it may not be time for coaching. But if your coach is following the International Coaching Federation approach, like I do, then there are some things that you can expect to get out of that coaching relationship. First of all, you can expect to be treated with respect. So when you open that box and let that scary part of you out, you should expect that your coach is not going to gasp. No weird facial expression that shows any kind of judgment. You know, a coach will invite you to challenge your assumptions. But they should never try to change your beliefs unless you say this is something that you think you want to change. You can expect privacy. So the coaching field is not a legally protected field in the U.S. So if, if you talk about your plans to commit a crime or that you already have committed a crime, well, those aren't protected. And if you make threats or there's an indication you're going to harm yourself or somebody, well, yeah, a coach is going to go share that and... You're going to have to ethically, we've got to do something about mm -hmm. that. But outside of those, you can expect that when you open that box and share it, it is not going to leave the conversation between you and your coach. Um, so that that should stay confidential. You can expect that the coach will help you stay on track. So if your mind likes to wander, if you said, I want to address this, and then you get off on this conversation, you can expect your coach to, to bring you back. Now, you said at the beginning of the call you wanted to work at this. Is that mm -hmm. still where you want to focus? So you can expect some help that way. I think the, one of the biggest parts is that you know, even though they're not going to direct you to solutions, uh, people often say about a coaching relationship, um, I just felt seen. Mm. That doesn't just mean that you're on Zoom. Uh, so you, you get to look at each other's video, but somebody actually saw their box and is able to articulate it in a way that makes sense, that lets you know, ah, you get me. Mm -hmm. so, so many times 
I've had people who I describe a challenge I'm facing and they will offer advice. And it's like, yeah, if you're offering me that advice, you clearly didn't hear what's going on. <laughs> you can expect the coach to hear what's going on and help you to see the areas that you have opportunity to make a difference and approach it. So then describe a typical management coaching session with with you. Um, you've given us kind of a, you know, a high level of what I should expect out of a coaching relationship. If I'm working with Steve Dwyer, um, mm. how does a session with you work? Well, first, each session, it's, it is part of a broader engagement. So part of that, you're gonna, you will have established something that you want to address throughout the course of the entire engagement. So with that context in mind, We'll start the first part of that coaching session just asking, you know, what is that one step that you want to work on today to help you towards that goal? Something that is achievable in the length of the conversation that we have. Maybe it's a mental block that you're trying to overcome or something that you believe you should be doing, but for some reason you're just not. Or maybe you want to even help figuring out what is the next step towards that next goal. But once you know what it is that you're trying to take away from that one session, we'll just invite exploration. Just we'll dig into, I'll invite you to make predictions, maybe analyze the evidence that you've seen to probe some different ideas, imagine things from different angles. And I'll reflect back to you things that I've observed. Hey, you said this. And often people will say, I said that? Or... <laughs> Wow, I just really needed to hear myself say that. People often say, you can't read the label on your bottle when you're living inside the bottle. Mm -hmm. So through this series, the coach can look at the bottle from the outside and read your label back to you. Sometimes that means sharing observations that other people are too afraid to say because it's a little too tender of a, of a place and people just want to back away. Yeah. Ultimately, after probing all of those different explorations, you'll wind down the session noticing a few key takeaways or insights. And it usually results in something that you choose to do as a result of what you discovered about who you are. Sometimes I may offer you exercises to consider, but I'm never going to make an assignment. You must do this. Um, so any homework that you choose or any action step is going to be your decision. A lot of times people will end that session, go, wow, that's not how I expected this conversation to go, but I'm sure glad it did. Steve, as I was listening to how that flow would go working with you, one of the things I'm, I think I'm detecting is you're not telling me things for however long the session is. It sounds like you're doing a lot more listening and reacting as opposed to just like, it's not like an instructional course or something. General, right. Aligned with the International Coaching Federation's definition of coaching, that you nailed it. It is not instruction. It is not directive. Even questions, we have to be careful that we don't ask questions where we think we know the right answer and we're just trying to get you to say it. Hmm. No, no leading questions. It's every question Whatever you come up with, no judgment. Like we were saying earlier, it's that respect. Where you land, it's to help you see about yourself things that you may not have seen, not to see what the coach wants to see. 
Well, Steve Dwyer, Northway Insights. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. This has been a unique conversation. We have not had a conversation <laughs> quite like this before on Day Two Cloud. Yeah. Uh, oh, really different. Really not interesting. Not how you expected uh, the conversation, conversation to go. To go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, Steve, if people want to know more about you, more about management coaching, and maybe work with you, uh, how do they get in touch? Uh, NorthwayInsights.com would be the the cleanest way. And um, if you want to jump straight to seeing if working with me is what you want, then it would be NorthwayInsights.com slash apply. And there are a couple of different ways you can either look at alignment coaching. How do I get my life and my work to align so I can be fulfilled or advancement coaching? I, I want to move up, but i just want some guidance that way. So there are two different tracks to go. Okay, so northwayinsights.com uh, slash apply if you're interested in working with Steve. And uh, Steve, are you social? Do you blog? Are you on Twitter, Instagram, any of those things? Uh, I, I post LinkedIn and Facebook um, and Instagram. And right now it's it's all the same thing. And it's also what's on the musings page of uh, Northway Insights. So if you look at one, you'll see them all. Very good. And we'll share all those in the show notes at day2cloud.io and also packetpushers.net. And our thanks to Steve for appearing today on Day2Cloud. And a virtual high fives to you for tuning in, you awesome human. If you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter. We monitor at do. We monitor at Day2CloudShow, or you can fill out the request form on Day2Cloud.io. Now, did you know that you don't have to scream into the technology void alone? Maybe you want a coach or a mentor, as many of the things we discussed today, but... Failing that, the Packet Pushers Podcast Network has a free Slack group that's open to everyone. Visit packetpushers.net slash Slack and join. It's a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, and solve problems together. Again, packetpushers.net slash Slack. And uh, until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.